0: Matthew chapter 4 and I want to begin a series today that I'm calling showdown in the desert showdown in the desert Matthew chapter 4 and we're going to read about the temptations that came to Jesus Christ when he was carried into the wilderness Matthew 4 1 let's stand together and we're going to read a few verses real quickly and pray and you can be seated it says, then Jesus was led by who? The Spirit. Matthew 4 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that right there tells me Jesus Christ was not some wimpy looking, long haired, blue eyed, Gentile looking kind of hippie type from the first century. He had to be very tough and very rugged to survive a forty-day fast. Now, it says afterward he was hungry, and when the tempter came to him, when the tempter came to him, he said, if, and that's the enemy, anytime you hear that if, and it has to do with the Word of God, you're dealing with the enemy. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father, I thank you for your word today. And I pray, Lord, that as we deal with these different temptations that Satan brought to Jesus, that we will learn because he's got no new tricks, nothing new in his bag of tricks. He does the same things with us today. And so, Lord, help us to have wisdom to defeat the tempter and walk in victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good today. Perk up and listen. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, we see here that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. And there, Jesus was tempted by the devil. As we see the devil in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Old Testament, we find the devil immediately coming to God's chosen creation, his, the best of the best, his most loved, his most honorable creation, man. And he approaches Eve as a disembodied spirit, a serpent, and begins to tempt her. And the first thing he says is if. If he begins to deal with the Word of God and tempts Eve. Now the first book in the New Testament. It's the same thing. Here he is coming to Jesus And he attacks Jesus, I want you to notice, he attacks Jesus with a little bit of truth. If you are the son of God, he knew that Jesus believed he was the son of God. And so Satan comes to him with an if, and he comes to us with the same thing. If you're a daughter of God, if you're a son of God, if you've been born of God, and notice that God gives us exclamation points and Satan gives us question marks. God says, you are saved, exclamation point. You are redeemed, exclamation point. I have given my son for you, exclamation point. You're going to heaven, exclamation point. You are more than a conqueror, exclamation point. But the devil always brings a question. If, if this is really the will of God for you, if this is really God's word for your life, if this is really what you're supposed to do, if, 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 and he begins to make you and I insecure if he can, in our position in God. He wants to get us questioning God or what God has done in our lives or what God wants for us. And he puts a question mark there. Now, in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, Satan struck at three issues, three issues that are common to every one of us. And though we didn't read them all, I'll just tell you what they are. In fact, as we read these three temptations... Any temptation you face can be found to be somehow related to one of these three. Any temptation you face, you can look at it and go, all right, it's going to be in one of these three categories because Satan hit Jesus with the overall general sweeping temptations in which all other temptation falls. The first temptation was a provision issue a provision issue. The second was a presumption issue. And the third, a purpose issue. So say it with me, can you? Provision, presumption, and purpose. Provision, presumption, and purpose. If you're the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Because you are hungry. Jesus had a provision issue in his life, and Satan played on it. But then, if you read on in Matthew 4, you find that he took Jesus to the top of the temple and said, Cast yourself down. That's a presumption. That's a presumption issue. He was tempting him to presume upon God's protection. The third one, a purpose issue. And we're going to see all of these three provision, presumption, and purpose in the next couple of weeks. I think about this scene of Jesus in the wilderness, all by himself. And I thought, you know, on the sandy plains of Palestine, Satan tempted Jesus to turn a stone into bread, jump off of a high place, and offered him all the kingdoms of the world if he would only bow down and worship the devil. There were no eyewitnesses to this battle, so apparently Jesus told his disciples about it later because there was no eyewitnesses. The author, Philip Yancey, who I love to read, wrote these words like single combat warriors two giants of the cosmos converged on a scene of desolation Jesus was weak having not eaten for forty days and the same tempter who found a fatal spot of vulnerability in Adam and Eve aimed his thrust against Jesus and this was for high stakes this was a the highest stake poker game spiritually in history because if Jesus had succumbed, we would not be redeemed today. There would have been no Messiah, no sacrifice, no blood, no cross, no Savior, no redemption, and we would have been lost without hope in a world gone mad. But Jesus fought the devil with the Word of God. First, he immediately the the enemy that is, tried to capitalize on the hunger of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, folks, he's no different with you and me today. He tried to defeat Jesus through need issues. How many of you in here have a need? The rest of you, you need to come down to the altar. (laughs) He approached Jesus Christ through need issues. Now, I want you to recognized with me, if you just look at this story, that Satan knew what Jesus needed. Satan knew that Jesus was dealing with a hunger issue. Satan knew what his need was in the flesh, and he knows your needs. Now, I'm not here to lift up the devil. As a matter of fact, I'm here to preach him down and preach up Jesus, but I'm also here to expose him. We need to understand our enemy. If you don't know your enemy, you're never going to defeat him. But the enemy knew Jesus needs, and he knows your needs. And it's those needs he will play on. It's those needs he will approach you with in the form of an attack. He will strike you at your point of need. Jesus was hungry. He had provision needs. Now, I want you to also notice that his hunger was legitimate. There was nothing wrong with his hunger. And most everything the enemy approaches you with, with an evil scheme... If it's on the need level, you're dealing with a need that is legitimate. Jesus had a legitimate need. He was hungry. He lived in a body of flesh. He was hungry like you and me. He needed sustenance to keep his body alive. And so the first lesson I see here in the attack of the enemy against Jesus is that Satan appeals to a legitimate need by offering an illegitimate, an illegitimate answer. This is how the enemy works. He knows, he knows where we are. He's not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent, and he's not omniscient. He's not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, and he's not everywhere at once. But he does... I believe, give us what I would call a satanic inspection. He will approach the children of God like he did Jesus Christ. He watched Jesus in that wilderness as Jesus walked into the wilderness. He was in a wilderness place just like you and me are sometimes. Jesus was in a wilderness place. Nobody was with him. He was experiencing loneliness. The only thing he had in this wilderness was the cry of jackals and wolves at night and the flight of vultures in the daytime. He was in the hot Judean wilderness and he was alone and the enemy was watching him. I don't think that Jesus ever saw him. I don't think he approached him in the form of uh, of something visible. I don't think that he saw him like Eve apparently saw the enemy approach her in the form of a serpent. I don't think that happened. I think that what hit Jesus was impulses on his mind because the enemy always attacks you and me between the ears. It's the battlefield of the mind. I don't think he saw him. I don't think he saw a little red devil come up to him with a long tail and a pitchfork. That's a joke. This is a fallen archangel we're talking about, a being of infinitely higher intelligence than you and me, that if it weren't for God, would destroy us. But thank God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. and he approached him. And I think that Jesus was sitting there in this wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. And I can tell you, I've never fasted that long, but I did go 10 days one time. And weird things start happening to your mind after 10 days. You get tired. You can't get up out of bed. Uh, you're, you're, you're you're, You're lying there, and it's a good thing, but I think God ought to lead you in your fasting. You need to be careful with it. I know people that went 40 days, and they've never been the same since. But he, he, he was there alone. And I think lying there 40 days and 40 nights without food, suddenly when the enemy approached him, all that was on Christ's mind was God and his call and his purpose. And the enemy knew. He was sitting there. He knew what he was thinking about. You're thinking you're the son of God. And he knew that he was hungry. So he hit him between the ears, I think, the thoughts came like impulses and 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 that's how the enemy attacks us so it's so easy for us to say well that was my thought i thought that when when you might be in a warfare and if it's a question mark and it has to do with your purpose in god and what god has done for you and where god is leading you and it's making you doubt it and stumble and walk away you can know that's not the exclamation point of god that's the question mark of the enemy and he's trying to get you to doubting god so here's Jesus Christ. He's sitting there, and suddenly this impulse. If you're the Son of God, let's prove it. Let's, let's prove it, Son of God. If you're the Son of God, why don't you do something about your hunger? If you're the Son of God, let's put the cards on the table. If you're the Son of God, why don't you exercise the power that is yours? He came to him with bread issues. Bread issues. Bread issues. Came to him with a legitimate need. In a legitimate need, he offered him an illegitimate answer. And that's exactly what he does with us. Jesus was dealing with bread issues. You know, bread issues can be anything, not just something to eat. A bread issue is anything that has to do with provision. It can be money needs, relationship needs, sexual needs, need for affirmation and approval. Bread issues you're hungry. You've got a legitimate hunger. And the enemy comes in at that moment and he says, if the word is true, if, if, if God has spoken to you, if you've been born again, if this hunger is there, then doesn't God want that hunger taken care of? He sure does, but only by legitimate means, not illegitimately. And I'm here to tell you today that one of Satan's tactics is to come to us with bread issues and offer a wrong way for a right need. Come on, everybody. This is how he works. I want you to notice what he knew about Jesus. Keep it in mind. He knew what he was thinking about, and he knew his hunger. He knew what the bread issue was. So why don't you turn those stones into bread if you are the son of God. And in one fell swoop with one fiery arrow, he struck at the two things that mattered to Christ at that hour in one moment. Now, the second lesson I learned here is that Satan attacks just before God provides. You know, I've learned something. Satan waits just near the finish line. Satan waits just near the finish line. You've been persevering. You've been walking. You've been praying. You've been binding. You've been loosing. You've been believing. You have been walking through a valley. You're about to come out on the other side. You're about to experience a breakthrough. You can see the finished tape on the distant horizon, and you're just about to get there, and that is when the enemy comes, just before God's breakthrough. Because we read that as soon as Jesus was finished fighting the devil, angels came and ministered to him. Angels came and ministered to him. And I believe they fed him because he got up and walked all the way back into the city and began his ministry. Watch this. He entered the wilderness led by the spirit. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit. There is a power in defeating the devil. You, there, Something happens when you and I take a stand and walk through the fire and walk through the water and walk through the valley and hang on to God and come out on the other side. We go in full of the Spirit. We come out in the power of the Spirit. Just before the angels came and ministered to him, here came the enemy. He could have come on the first day, seventh day, 14th day, 21st day, 30th day, but he waited until Jesus was right at the finish line. And the enemy waits I think sometimes and as a matter of fact I've learned this in ministry if you're headed towards a great victory often he attacks you just before the victory or he attacks you right after a great victory but here he was with Jesus he knew if he gets out of this wilderness and he succeeds in this fast and he succeeds against me, I know he's coming out in the power. And the last thing I want is this guy walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, casting out devils, healing the sick, raising the dead, and teaching vast crowds of people. Malcolm Muggeridge, a filmmaker, while filming a documentary in Israel, wrote these words, Curiously enough, just at the right moment to begin filming, when the shadows were long enough and the light not too weak, I happened to notice nearby a whole expanse of stones, all identical and looking uncommonly like loaves of bread. Well baked and brown. How easy for Jesus to have turned these stone loaves into edible ones. Jesus could turn things from one thing to another as he showed by turning the water to wine. Jesus looked at unstable Simon Peter and said, you're going to be a rock. He took water and said, why? Jesus being God could speak and the word worked and he could make those. It was not like he was being tempted to do something he could not do. It was not like he would try it and it would not happen. And then he would deal with not having been the son of God. No, the enemy knew he was tempting him with what he could do. And he never tempts you and I to do something that if we succumb to it, we cannot do. He was tempting him to do what he knew he could. Jesus could have said to those stones so well described by Muggeridge, he could have said, be bread and they would have turned to bread and he would have eaten it but it would have been out of the will of God now I ask myself what was wrong why what was wrong with turning the stones to bread if you're God why not just wave your hand over some of those stones 40 days 40 nights I deserve a break today Hmm. (laughs) the way you talk to yourself when you pass McDonald's sometimes (laughs) Why not just wave his hand and take care of the hunger? He could have. It was within the scope of his power and ability to do it. What was the big deal? Listen carefully. I'm going to tell you what the big deal was. Why, Jesus, did you not turn those stones into bread and eat when you were so hungry and surely starving at this point? Why not? Because he refused to misuse the power and the gifting of God. To misuse the reason for which God gave him power was to sin, and one sin from the life of Christ and the whole thing is over with. He refused to take what God gave him and use it for his own selfish gain. Now let that sink in a minute, because how often are you and I tempted to use something that God gave us for our own gain? How often are we tempted to take something that God has given us and, 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 and squander it and capitalize on it and, and prostitute it for our own gain, for our own selfish end? See, God gave Jesus Christ his power. We know what he gave it to him for. Isaiah tells us what God gave him his power for. It was never to be for himself. It was always to be in the service of others. Listen to this. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Why? To preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the broken in heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those that are bound, all those things I just read to you have to do with God's power through him blessing others, not himself. To turn the stones into bread would have been abusing the power of God. And he refused to abuse the giftings God gave him. Come on, everybody. This matters now because I've seen people market their gifts. I've seen people sell their gifts. I've seen people put their their gifts in the open marketplace and say, for the right amount of money, I'll use my gift. And, And that's using it for yourself. See, God did not call me to minister his word for me. He called me to minister his word for you. And for all of those that are in the future, he didn't call me for me. He called me for you and Jesus knew i don't have this power to just do whatever i want with it in other words the power of god is not an open checkbook for me to do whatever i want with it the power of god has been given for a reason the holy ghost came upon you so that you would be a witness the holy ghost did not come upon you so you could experience endless eternal holy ghost bumps <laughs> I mean, I know people that just go from meeting to meeting to meeting to get a rush. Not me, sir. Uh Uh-uh. I don't don't mind being blessed, and if God wants to bless me, that's fine. But I've learned even when he blesses me, he's got other people in his crosshairs. He knows that when I get blessed, he knows what's going to happen with it. He knows if he can get it through me, he will get it to me. If he can get it to me, he will get it through me. And so God blesses us for others. And Jesus knew this. So here he is, he's starving. I want you to notice the self-control of Jesus Christ. He's starving, and he said, no, I could, I could, but I will not do it. I will not use my power for a wrong end. Jesus refused to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Now, let me just quickly show you Samson. Here's Samson, the he-man with a (laughs) she-weakness. Samson, the he-man with a she-weakness. Now, he was a Nazirite. And the Nazirite vow, every Nazirite took a vow. The Nazirite vow, one of the aspects of the Nazirite vow was that you could not touch a dead body. Matter of fact, let me just read it to you. All the days that he separates himself, talking about the Nazirite, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Now here's Samson walking along one day. He's headed to a particular uh, town. In search of some woman he's cast his eyes on this time, and he passes a dead lion. And he, well, he killed the lion actually. He killed the lion, didn't tell anybody about it. He knew he had superhuman strength. He killed the lion, broke its neck with his bare hands. Then later he goes by that lion again, and now the carcass has rotted a little bit. This is kind of gross, but this is what the Bible says that bees had made a beehive inside the carcass of this dead lion and there was a bunch of honey in it and samson being a nazirite who took a nazirite vow that's why he never cut his hair because it was a nazirite vow it was a part of his understanding his covenant with god if i cut my hair i've broken my covenant with god so he was tied up in a covenant a nazirite covenant a nazirite vow so that's why i know no no strong drink that's why he didn't cut his hair And that's why he wasn't supposed to touch a dead body, but he's headed towards this town. He looks in the carcass of this dead lion. He's hungry like Jesus. And he says, it says he looks and he beholds the lion and he's amazed because in the lion now is a beehive. Now, here's here's the way flesh thinks. I am hungry, God provided. Look at that provision right there. I killed the lion, and out of what I did, to the glory of God, now look at that beehive in there. See, see, that's presumption, and we're going to talk about that next time. That's presumption, because God will never lead you to break His Word, to fulfill His Word. He will never lead you to compromise His Word, to reach a godly end. And so here He is. So He reached into the carcass of this dead lion, and he pulled out that honey, and he ate it, and he broke his Nazarite vow. See, he was different from Jesus. See, God would have met his need legitimately if he had refused the wrong answer. And often, ladies and gentlemen, the wrong option will come to you just before the right one, And just because there's a dead lion there and just because there's honey there doesn't mean that honey is from God. Come on, everybody. It doesn't mean that honey is from God. Others may reach in there and take it. Others may, but you cannot because you're a child of God. You've been redeemed by the blood. You're not like the world. You don't walk like the world. You don't think like the world. You don't aim like the world. You don't live like the world. You're not like them. So let them eat the honey in the carcass of the dead lion. Let God provide for his children as you wait on him. So Samson met a legitimate need by an illegitimate source and he became ceremonially unclean. And if you follow Samson's life from that moment on, he is on a a spiral downward till finally his eyes are poked out, his hair is shaved off, and he's walking around grinding a mill, living his life out in vanity because he did not honor the ways of God. Jesus refused this temptation by saying this in essence. I know I'm hungry. I need bread, but I won't get it by compromising God's purpose for me. His word, his rhema word is what I wait for and it's all that I need. So he said to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Until my God provides for me, his word is good enough for me. Until God breaks through for me, his presence is all I want. And if I die waiting on God, better dead than a living sinner. He said, I will not compromise my walk. He will take care of me and his word will sustain me until legitimate provision arrives. And it says, after three temptations, it says the devil left him for an opportune or till an opportune time. And suddenly in the same, I'm thinking, I don't think these temptations went on over a long period of time. I think knowing the enemy, he came at him and hit him with every one of them, just like that, machine gun style. And when he left him, look how close the provision of God was. Here's Jesus. No, I'm not going to turn the stones into bread. I'm not going to misuse my power. I'll wait on God. I'm not going to be Samson and put my hand in a carcass and take honey that is not mine. I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to wait on God. And right after he took his stand, suddenly there is an angel. Well, plural, angel. And they ministered to him. And he came out in the power of the Spirit and began to cast out devils and heal the sick and raise the dead and speak like no man ever spoke. So what do we learn from the showdown in the desert? You're going to have one. You're going to be in a desert place. You're going to feel dry one day. You're going to feel like God's 100 miles away. And you're going to be in a struggle. Maybe your financial needs are not going to be met at the time. Maybe you're going to be having to believe God for something. It just seems like the heavens are brass and he's nowhere around. And you're going to feel like nobody understands you. And you're going to be there in a wilderness place alone. And in that wilderness place alone, there's going to be an impulse that's going to hit your mind. If you are a daughter of God, if you are a son of God, if you are who you say you are, if he is who you say he is, if that word really is the word of God, and he's going to hit you and show down in the desert time, it's showtime, and you're going to have to lean on the Word of God and say, it is written, I will not meet a legitimate need by compromise. I will, there are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. I will not reach a noble place by unnoble means. I've got to get there, not by might, not by power of flesh, but by the Spirit of God. And when I get there the right way, then angels are going to be there to minister to me. And you're gonna come out in power. We'll all have our own showdown in the desert many times in this life. But fear not, little flock. It is His good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and He will strengthen you. Can we stand today? Now, I want you to say with me, it's okay. To have a, need. have a legitimate need. Amen. And if Satan is offering you a wrong answer to a right need, God's provision must be near. It must be near. And you'll get your sustenance from the Word of God until God breaks through for you. Father, we thank you today for the word of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your people are. More than conquerors, but there are also people under attack, people with questions, people with struggles. And, Lord, I remember the verse that is said about you, that you you experience temptation in every way that we do, yet without sin. So we can know, Lord, that we will have our own showdown in the desert when the enemy will question us and try to move us to question our position in you and who you are, and who what the Word is, and is the Word real, and all of that. And Lord, we learn from Jesus to defeat him by the Word of God. With our heads bowed, how many of you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in a showdown in the desert. Just raise your hand. I'm experiencing a showdown in the desert. God bless you. God bless you many of you. Listen, cling to the Word of God. I'm not going to tell you. It's easy. And I want to be careful. I don't misrepresent the truth about Christianity. It's a fight. And sometimes it's a fight for everything you hold dear. But I can tell you the truth that He will never leave you nor forsake you. And He will see you through if you'll just cling to Him and trust Him. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm going to ask those of you who raise your hand, would you just come down and let me pray for you right now? I want you to come down right now. Let me pray for you. Showdown in the desert. It's a showdown in the desert. It's a showdown in the desert, and you're alone. At least you feel alone.